When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, y'all? It's J.D. Piquel. Welcome into the Hard Count, the people show. Every single thing that you know, that you love about college football. Guess what? It happens here every single day. It is finally here. Championship weekend is upon us. The dust has settled. A lot of programs are now at home watching these games. We have five power, I guess five power five conference championship games. We're going to break them all down. SEC, Georgia and LSU going to get after it. LSU just took an L last week, Texas A&M, kind of in wounded mode, trying to get themselves back, and they got Georgia. So LSU is arguably, in my opinion, a more dangerous team because they got slapped back to reality. Going to be a fun one in Atlanta. Going to break that one down. How about Michigan? We got to be in Columbus for the Michigan-Ohio State game. Michigan's got an edge, y'all. Like, to see it in person was something different. They got Purdue in Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship game. It would be the second time in a row for Michigan to take home the belt. Got to get past Purdue, though. Purdue, a sneaky good football team. Aiden O'Connell, Chucky Jones, they got some boys. Be a fun one. Give you our prediction of that one as well. How about the Pac-12? USC sitting pretty after overhauling a lot of their roster, a lot of their key pieces. Caleb Williams being one of them. Jordan Addison via the transfer portal. Lincoln Riley, bringing some juice back to the Coliseum. They got Utah. And I have a sneaking suspicion that Utah was the program that USC was secretly hoping to play. Because if you remember correctly, they played them in Salt Lake and USC lost by one point. Cam Rising getting in the end zone after they went for two to win the ball game. And USC feels like maybe there was a little bit of home cooking going on. Well, that won't be the case in this one. It'll be played in Vegas. I'm excited to watch that one because USC, if they win that game, they will absolutely be in the college football playoff. They'll be dancing in year one under Lincoln Rally. How about that? Also going to talk about the ACC title game. Clemson, they just lost to South Carolina. First time in like seven or I guess eight different games they had lost to that program. So now everyone's looking back at Dabo and saying, all right, Dabo, what's going on here? Are we going to, you know, are we going to lose the ACC for the second year in a row? We're going to talk a little about the implications of that one, also give you our prediction. But they play North Carolina. Drizzy Drake May, human highlight reel. A lot of people believe he still should be in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. That's going to be a good one because I think North Carolina has the facilities offensively to be able to at least test Clemson and kind of do what South Carolina did to them a week ago with Juice Wells and Spencer Rattler. Going to give you our prediction of that one and then finish this whole thing up with the Big 12 title prediction, a rematch, as it always is in the Big 12, with TCU playing Kansas State. Now, Kansas State was actually up on TCU at half, and TCU in TCU kind of fashion just sort of surged, put their pedal to the metal, whizzed right past and was able to get the win in that game. But I promise you, Kansas State, they remember that one very vividly. They remember having TCU on the ropes. So we'll see what happens in that game, but we'll give you our prediction as that one will be in Jerry World. Will be a whole lot of fun. Then obviously at the end of the program, the best thing that we do on this entire show, bringing you into the party. We got my man Jack Terry 
on the ones and twos. Nick Brake on the IR. Nick Brake, get well soon, my man. Going to make sure we get to your questions. So get those in as quickly as possible. Once you send those in the live chat, we're going to start churning, all right? So we're going to make sure that we can answer those most effectively. But if you get them in earlier, that helps us help you. You feel me? All right, the people show. Also, quick note, we're on podcast. So wherever you get them, whether you're on Apple or Spotify, the hard count is there for you. So a great chance to re-listen to the show. For those of you that are locked in right now, if you're driving to work, whatever it is, nice to have it available on podcast. All right. Also follow me on the social channels at JD Pakel on Twitter and on Instagram. But it is a very big weekend. Plan for some hardware. Like I said, a lot of teams now at home wishing they were in these games. We're not going to waste too much more time. Let's get after it. The SEC title game is set in Atlanta. You got Georgia. No surprise there. Then you got LSU in their first season under Brian Kelly set to try and take down the big dog. Georgia, obviously defending national champions, favored by 17 and a half. That number is maybe a little bit surprising, but I guess LSU did lose Texas A&M. For Georgia, they didn't win the SEC a season ago. Like you talk about motivation a lot for teams like Georgia because they don't get a ton of resistance week in and week out for how dominant they are. But I promise you, they're locked in for this one because they want to go ahead and get that SEC crown back. Of course, they're still trying to win the national championship and repeat and all that, but they feel like they're the best team in the SEC. They feel like they were the best team in the SEC a season ago. So they're trying to take back what they believe is theirs. Now for LSU, like we already alluded to, they had some college football playoff hopes a week ago, got those dashed by Texas A&M. So they're trying to get back on track. I feel as though maybe LSU is a little bit more dangerous than they could have been a week ago because now the pressure to win you know, this game and get to the college football playoff, that's dialed down a little bit. And I think that's really healthy for a young team experience-wise. Because like I said, it's only year one under Brian Kelly. They're still trying to get their feet, trying to get their culture all settled down. I think this is going to be a really good game. Like Georgia is obviously the favorite, like I already mentioned, but this is going to be a really good game because of what LSU has and the pressure that they don't have in this game. Really quickly, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, we'd love to have you. A lot of the LSU faithful, a lot of the Georgia faithful already joined the party. If you haven't yet, jump on in. The water's fine. The way that we break down these games is hinge points, meaning there's a variable sitting on a fence, right? Whichever way it falls, whether it's towards Georgia or towards LSU, we think it's a key point that whichever way it falls, it favors that team. So that's how we do it on this program. If you're new, thank you. If you've already joined us before and subscribed, we're glad to have you. One of the big hinge points for me in this game, what happens on third down, especially when LSU has the football? Because looking at the numbers, LSU is 48% conversion rate on third down. That's really good. Top 15 in the country. Now on the other side, Georgia, they're only allowing 28% defensively on third down. So they're top five in the country in that stat. So movable object, meet unstoppable force. That's going to dictate this game because for LSU to win this game, I believe they're going to have to extend drives. And so being able to convert on third down, that would allow them to then have a new fresh set of downs, obviously, take some more time off the clock. And for Georgia, if they're able to stop them on third down, if, if LSU has a bunch of three and outs, well, then guess what? LSU defense gets tired and potentially find yourselves in a hole in terms of just the margin of, you know, whatever it is at the first quarter, second quarter. Like, you don't want to get down to Georgia 10 to 14 points. And LSU's done that before at different times this year, been able to recover, but Georgia's a whole different beast. 
you don't want to be down multiple possessions to Georgia. Now, if they can stay on the field and elongate drives, like I already said, that would very much be the kind of game that LSU would like to play. The tempo for them is crucial. And the game that I'm looking at to compare this style-wise is Alabama. LSU obviously had a huge upset win against Alabama. On third down, they were 5-for-12 that day. That has to be the kind of stat that I think LSU lives in on third down if they want to be able to beat Georgia. Okay, so that's crucial. Who has the most balance offensively? For, I think it's different for both programs, but for LSU, I think you need to be able to have a little bit of a seed of doubt for that Georgia defense in keeping the pass game alive. Now, what do I mean by that? I've said it before. I think LSU is one of the most dangerous teams in the country when they can run the football effectively. Why? Because they got guys like Kayshawn Butte. Mason Taylor, Malik Neighbors, like they got guys on the outside that can hurt you. And when you run the football effectively, more often than not, that means teams have to allocate more resources to stopping the run. We've seen it many times, especially against Alabama. Jaden Daniels, Josh Williams got after it in the run game, close to 200 yards that night as a team. As a result, you had some really key passes connect. So going back to kind of planting that seed of doubt, if you can connect on a couple of pass plays, It doesn't need to be a 300-yard game for Jaden Daniels. It's not his game, not the game that LSU needs to play. But if they can connect on a couple of those, and just to keep that box honest and not have Georgia overload it, that would be favoring LSU. Now, for Georgia, I think the conversation there is the balance is crucial for setting up a manageable down and distance. Because LSU, when they've been able to be successful defensively, especially, they've been able to force high-volume pass attempts. Look at the games that they beat top 10 teams in, Ole Miss and Alabama. Ole Miss, they're a running football team. They run it close to as much as an academy. I mean, they're like top four in the country in terms of how much they run the football. That game, though, they forced long third downs, obvious passing situations where Ole Miss had to throw the football. Jackson Dart threw it like 34 times that game. Same thing for Alabama. They weren't able to really get it going too much on the ground as much as they needed to and had a lot of longer third downs, and Bryce Young had like 50 attempts. So I'm not saying you're winning the game if that's the the style of play that Georgia has to play because they've thrown it like 35 times a game early in the year, starting to balance out a little bit more now. But if you can force them to have a higher volume attempt, that helps you. Because if Georgia can just hand the ball to Kenny McIntosh, Hand the ball to Dejan Edwards and just pick up four yards, five yards, six yards. That chips away your defense. That is hard to do in the first half, but especially in that third and fourth quarter, that wears on a defense. As good as LSU is, I worry about them playing that kind of style of game. So if you can win on first and second down and be able to create those longer third downs and force it to be okay, Stetson Bennett, again, the same narrative around Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, can you beat us? that would be the way that you want to play if you're LSU. Now, I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm just saying that's the kind of reality that needs to be available for LSU. So here's the bottom line. I view this game very much as a boxing match. What's the score at half? What's, what's the score a few rounds into this thing? Because for LSU, I think this game is very similar to how I viewed Ohio State-Michigan a week ago. Because remember, the whole conversation was, hey, Can Ohio State at half at least, excuse me, I'll rephrase that. The whole conversation was, can Ohio State stop Michigan's run game? And Ohio State did that. However, Michigan threw a bunch of haymakers in the pass game, and at half, 
they were very much, you know, in it. They were ahead a little bit of Ohio State and had run for like one yard. For LSU, I think they need to kind of follow that blueprint that Michigan did. Can they throw some haymakers early? Because guess what? The second half from Georgia, it's going to be brutal. I mean, Georgia's one of the best second-half teams in the country. Listen to this. Allowing seven points a, a second half. So only a touchdown is what you're getting in the second half against Georgia. In terms of what they're scoring offensively, 19 points a second half. So they're going to get close to three touchdowns in the second half. Meaning, for LSU, you have to be able to do some damage early on. Can you land some early shots? Can you throw a couple punches and make Georgia off balance? That would be the world you would want to live in for LSU. So here's our prediction for this game. I think we see a really strong showing from LSU. We talked a lot last weekend about how LSU, does it disvalidate what they did in 2022 after they lost Texas A&M? No, just a young team trying to find their footing, trying to get consistent. I think they rise to the occasion this game and play really, really solid. However, I think Georgia's extra focused. I think Georgia takes this game very personal, having not won the title a year ago. I think we see a second-half surge from this program. I think it's close at half, but I think Georgia just continues to apply pressure. I think they lean on LSU. I think the team speed of this Georgia defense will make it hard in the second half for LSU to be able to create enough on the ground offensively. At the end of the day, I think Georgia ends up pulling away in this game and winning 34-20. to So we're taking Georgia to win. We're taking LSU to cover in the SEC title game. So Georgia is your SEC champions. And I promise you, they want that one. I mean, Kirby Smart and company, if there is some messaging that's going around that building, it's, well, hey, we're not SEC champs. That's great. You can have the national title ring. Good for you. But you don't have the SEC belt. Go get it. Let's talk about Michigan and, and Purdue a little bit. We were at Michigan, Ohio State last week. Quick story. The last time I was in Columbus was for Ohio State, Oklahoma. Was in the stadium for that. And that was the exact same game where Baker Mayfield takes the Oklahoma flag, takes it to midfield, and plants it right on the O. And I mean, you can, I mean, that was a clip that lived, it seems like, forever on different highlight reels and social media. Like, that was a clip that got around. Well, fast forward the tape a little bit. I'm on the sideline, on the Michigan sideline, actually, as the clock is starting to tick down. It's about to hit triple zeros. And I see a Michigan player go and grab a Michigan flag. And I immediately flash back to that time sitting in the student section watching Baker Mayfield run to midfield. Same thing is unfolding. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I am never going to be allowed back in Columbus after two for two on flag plants. So I don't think correlation is causation, but that was an unbelievable atmosphere to be a part of. An unbelievable moment to witness as they just planted the M right on the O. It was nuts, and it, it felt like a, a funeral, to be honest with you. Like, Ohio State's one of the best programs in the country. We'll talk about this more at a later date. But to lose to Michigan in the same kind of fashion and back-to-back years for them, that's unacceptable. Unacceptable, not the standard. And uh, that's what they're going to talk about this offseason. Regardless of how the rest of this season goes, even if Ohio State somehow sneaks in the playoff, which is very possible, they're going to talk about how they lost to Michigan. Enough about Ohio State. Let's talk about Michigan because they got a really big game for the Big Ten Championship against the Purdue Boilermakers. Now, Michigan favored by 16 and a half. Game is at 8 Eastern, obviously, in Indianapolis. 
And for Michigan, you talk a lot with these less experienced teams because two new coordinators, eight new starters on defense, voluntarily have a new quarterback. It's first year starting in the program. And you would imagine, hey, is the, is the stage too big for them? Hey, they just beat Ohio State. Is this a letdown spot in the Big Ten title game? I don't think it is. Jim Harbaugh talks a lot about the happy mission. I think for Michigan, the happy mission just continues in this game. Looking to go back-to-back and winning the Big Ten title. And it's so funny because think about what we were saying about Michigan a few years ago. It was, hey, is Jim Harbaugh the right guy? Hey, how long does he have to fix it at Michigan? Oh, where, where, where's the team at? Even going into this offseason, where's the team's psyche at? Because Jim Harbaugh wanted the Vikings job. Well, they're sitting there undefeated. More than likely going to be in the college football playoff and have a chance to go back-to-back winning Big Ten titles. So we'll leave that there. For Purdue, though, nobody has given them a chance. Look at the number, 16 and a half. That is a very big spread, and nobody is thinking Purdue is going to do anything in this game. I promise you. For Jeff Brom and company, they're fine with that. They're absolutely fine with that. One thing that I think could give Purdue some confidence is the way that they beat Illinois. Because Illinois, remember, they pushed Michigan a little bit till Jake Moody had to hit a game-winner call game blouses to win that game. Purdue beat Illinois. And Illinois, I think, will play a very similar style as Michigan. Same kind of identity. Run the football, win in the trenches. For all the conversation around Purdue and how big of an underdog they are, I think a lot of people are forgetting the way that they played Illinois. So something to think about as we break down this game. Really quickly, if you have not yet subscribed to the channel, we'd love to have you here. Had a ton of the Michigan faithful join us in the last week or so, upwards of 1,000, so thank you. If you haven't yet joined the party, Come join us. Water's fine. Go ahead, subscribe. Also, follow me on the social channels at JD Pakel on Twitter and on Instagram. So here's my big question from Michigan to start this whole thing off. J.J. McCarthy went ballistic, went absolutely nuts against Ohio State in Columbus. We got to see it live and in person. Do we get an encore from the past game? Because I promise you, Purdue, they're likely going to take the same approach that Ohio State did. I think they're going to sell out to stop the run. And here's the thing. Chase Brown for Illinois, one of the best backs in the country. They held him to 98 yards. Now, 98 yards is still pretty solid, but for Illinois, that to be their identity, they didn't have a counterpunch. They weren't able to throw the football. And I promise you, Purdue is watching that tape, seeing what they did well against Illinois, and trying to re-implement that same kind of game plan. When I was younger, my dad and I played hoops in the front yard, played a game called horse. You already know how it works. Essentially, you have to make a shot to... Excuse me, you make a shot, your opponent has to make that same shot. At the end of the game, though, if you miss the shot that your opponent just made, stay with me here, there is a point where you have to prove it, meaning you have a second chance to make that shot, or your opponent has to remake that shot. You hear what I'm saying here? Bottom line, Michigan will have to prove that they can make that same shot they made against Ohio State in the past game. Because anybody can do it for one game, right? Like, that's what Illinois is thinking. Okay, you did it against Ohio State. They had some things defensively on the back end that were a little bit leaky. Cornelius Johnson spinning their DB like a top. Didn't necessarily have enough on the back end to be able to hang with them. And it just happened over and over again. Illinois saying, okay, if you beat us that way, that's fine. But we're going to make you prove that you can do it again. So for Michigan, if they can't do that, it might be similar to that Illinois game we saw for Purdue. Not to overemphasize the importance of this Illinois-Purdue game, but I'm just saying that's the kind of game that I think Purdue could win. Now, however, 
if J.J. McCarthy calls their bluff and goes nuts once again, this thing could get very ugly. But to reemphasize the entire point in this, I think it's a horse game. They're going to make Michigan prove that yet again, they have the juice in the pass game. Now, it's a dangerous risk, but I think that's one that Purdue has to take. Because if you want to just try and, and play as balanced as possible, well, Michigan's too, too good in the run game. That offensive line is too ferocious in the trenches. You hope Blake Quorum gets healthy, but if not, Donovan Edwards could go for two bills again. Like, that's the kind of game that you would just get absolutely demolished in. So you have to commit extra to the run game and say, J.J. McCarthy, Michigan pass game, Michigan receiving core, prove it. Second thing I'm looking at, there's going to be a really good matchup between Purdue's Charlie Jones and the Michigan secondary. Now, Chucky Jones, he is very much so the identity of this Purdue pass game. Yes, Aiden O'Connell's a dog. They throw the ball 58% of the time, and a lot of them are going to Charlie Jones. 97 receptions on the year. 1,200 yards. When the ball is in the air, it's going to Charlie Jones. And so for Michigan, yes, they won the football game last week. Yes, they held them to like 23 points against Ohio State, a prolific passing offense. But at the exact same time, you look at that stat sheet, Michigan still allowed two receivers to go over 100 yards. Like C.J. Stroud still threw for just a hair under 400 yards. Now, I will say this, I will concede this point, Ohio State and their receiving stable is superior to the one-man band of Chucky Jones. So I'm just saying how much of an impact does Charlie Jones get to have on this game? Because in an upset like this would require, it's not so much about having all the matchups. It's about having one and just milking that and going back to the well again and again and again. So I think at some point in time, Michigan will have to have answers for Charlie Jones. But that matchup in itself, I think, will dictate a lot of this game. Because let's say they shut down Charlie Jones. Let's say they shut down the Purdue pass game. Really starting and ending with Charlie Jones, in my opinion. I think it's game over. Like, if you take away Charlie Jones, you take away the identity of this Purdue offense, you're taking away their fastball. And I don't know they have a curveball to go with it. I don't think they have a counterpunch on top of that to be able to beat Michigan. Because you're not running the ball in Michigan. Just kind of the way this thing works. They're top five in the country in terms of yards per carry allowed, right around three. That defensive line is ferocious. It's just not going to happen. So a lot of what can hurt Michigan, in my opinion, starts and stops with what Charlie Jones can do. Michigan secondary will still have their work cut out for them for the second week in a row. Now, here's the thing. In a game like this, when it comes to these hinge points, sometimes we include what I like to call a backbreaker. Meaning, yes, we have these different hinge points, but here's the one variable, the one factor that I think just tells the entire story. And that is that the Michigan weight is just far too heavy when it comes to the second half for this Purdue team. And I've said it before. I believe J.J. McCarthy said something similar in his postgame press conference after Ohio State. But this Michigan team, is a lot like an anaconda. Like in the first, you know, first quarter, second quarter, it's feeling tight. Like that anaconda is around you and it's starting to squeeze a little bit, but you still have some breath. You know, you're, you're keeping your back straight. You're trying to just outlast them. By the third and fourth quarter, guess what? That defense wears on you. The run game wears on you evidently as Donovan Edwards went for two 70-plus yard touchdowns 
in the second half against Ohio State. Like, that's the kind of game that I think really will hurt Purdue. So looking at the numbers, Michigan allowing five points per second half, so less than a touchdown. They're scoring around 21 points per second half. There's that weight. There's that weight that just wears on you and causes you to crumble. And then Purdue, to make matters worse, this is why it's a backbreaker, they're 71st in the country in terms of uh, points per allowed in the second half in 13. So Purdue, not a phenomenal second half defense, which tells me the stamina slash the adjustments aren't there. And then pair that with what Michigan does best in the second half. They pride themselves on being a second half team. I think that's bad news for Purdue. So I think Michigan comes out. I, I don't know if, if it matters or not if they win this game, to be honest, for the, for the playoffs. I mean, we'll see what happens. But to be fair, I do think they win this game. I think it's a matter of when, not if, when they start to crumble that Purdue secondary in the second half. I think it's a big rushing day yet again. I think J.J. McCarthy balls out again. I think he proves that this Michigan pass game is for real. They do have their ducks in a row. This is who they are now. They're a multiple team offensively. I think they end up burying Purdue 41 to 24. So we take Michigan to win. We take the Wolverines to cover. They are your Big Ten champions for the second year in a row. How about Jim Harbaugh, man? Good for Jim Harbaugh. Getting it done two years in a row after all the conversation about what he could do and, and what Michigan couldn't be and you know his offensive philosophy and the quarterbacks. Like Everyone now has to just kind of turn the volume down and just watch what Michigan does because they are one of the best teams in the country and they're catching their stride in November. They're peaking at the exact right time. And that team also want to say this. When the stage is the biggest and the brightest, that team seems to always come to play. There's never a moment that's, that's too big for them. They have a confidence and an edge that at the very beginning of the year, maybe was just like a fun sound bite. Okay, that's cool. You know, say the job's not finished when you beat Illinois or you beat, you know, Michigan State. Not that they did, but that's sort of, you know, the tone that was being set by them. But now you do it against Ohio State, have the same exact mantra. Same exact confidence, same swag to you. I'm, I'm buying Michigan right now, folks. I'm buying Michigan. I think they're one of the top two teams in the country, and I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. So the transfer portal is about to get crazy, right? We talked about it already on this channel. Again, subscribe if you haven't. A team that really utilized the transfer portal, how about USC? Four and eight a season ago, go and get the quarterback in Caleb Williams. Go and get the wide receiver in Jordan Addison. Go and get a lot of other pieces on the outside of Mario Williams. Uh, Travis Dye, when he was healthy, was phenomenal. I mean, they've got some dudes, a lot of them via the portal. And they've been able to utilize that and be extremely successful and only have one loss on their record. Well, guess who that one loss is to? The Utah Utes. And guess who they drew in the Pac-12 title game? Utah. This is going to be a fun one to break down. Let's do it right here. All right. USC. Playing for the Pac-12 championship, favored by three points against guess who? Utah. The only team they have one loss to. Now, that loss came at Utah by one point. A lot of the USC fans were not crazy about some of the officiating that went down in that game. So no need to worry about that here. Be a neutral site. This game will be played fair and square. This is a Friday night game. So this will have all the attention of the entire country. And for USC... That's a big deal, not just because of the college football playoff. I mean, if they win this game, they're in the playoff. How about Caleb Williams? He's a guy that's very much so in Heisman candidacy. 
I would imagine he's the favorite for just about anybody and everybody that watches college football. The eyes of the country will yet again be on number 13 and the USC Trojans. And I think this is the kind of game where we could be seeing a Heisman moment. All right, so keep an eye on that. We'll talk about that in just a second. For Utah, though, they feel like they're still the top dog. Like, think about it. They beat Oregon twice last year to be the Pac-12 champion. And Utah's sitting there. They've heard all the talk about USC. And guess what? They're saying, we beat USC. We're still the Pac-12 champions. We're the top dog until you knock us off. So you got to prove it, USC. You got to prove that you are the superior program. And if you beat us in this game, so be it. But don't talk you're the champion until you are the champion is what I would imagine the tone is around that Utah program. Some hinge points for this game. The first time we saw this match ended up being kind of a shootout fashion. Both teams scored over 40. Cam Rising got in the end zone for a two-point conversion and a gutsy kind of game from him. What kind of game is it this time around? Is it a wrestling match or is it a boxing match? I'll explain a little bit. For Utah, a wrestling match would favor their kind of style of play. And think about how a wrestling match goes. Sort of slow, physical, a battle of wills in the trenches, pushing back and forth. The, you know, the, the physical will is really what wins this game. That's kind of how Utah plays. Averaging five yards a carry. They would like to slow this game down very much so than what it was last time they played and say, Caleb Williams, you're the best player in America. But guess what, my guy? Get a towel, get some Gatorade, get comfortable, because you've got to watch a lot of this thing. As we go on a 10-play drive, on a 12-play drive, hold the ball for 10 minutes at a time. Like, that's the kind of game that I think Utah would like to play. Now, it requires some stops on their end. It requires picking up third downs. It requires a lot of those, you know, short yardage that they'll have to pick up. But that's the kind of game that Utah would like to play. Because USC, for all the talent they have, especially on the offensive side, the defense at times has had issues. Now, keep in mind, USC allowed 90 yards against Notre Dame. And Notre Dame on paper was the exact kind of formula that would be able to turn that game into a wrestling match. So USC's done it before. Can they do it again? Same kind of thing we talked about with J.J. McCarthy and the Michigan passing game. Can you do it a second time? Can you prove it? Utah's going to test them on that. Now, if it becomes a boxing match, that favors USC. Think about the style of a boxing match. Kind of high intensity, fast paced. You're trading haymakers, trading tags back and forth. That was what this was last time that USC played. And they feel very much so like they should have won that game. They feel like if they play that same style again, they can win this game. Again, they didn't love the officiating, but that's how USC plays. Haymaker after haymaker, offensive touchdown after offensive touchdown, high scoring. That would allow the strength of USC's team, again, the offense, Caleb Williams, that means they're having their impact on this game. Because the, the, the worst case scenario for USC is, they get out of this game, and the offense ran, you know, 20 minutes. Like 20 minutes time of possession would be the worst-case scenario for USC because your best player didn't get to have his say on how things went in this game. So the defense has got to hold up their end of the bargain, but USC wants to be able to just kind of go pound for pound, mano y mano, may the best man win, let's play a fast-paced, high-scoring kind of game at a neutral site this time. So that's how that's going to look. Does the USC defense have an answer this time around for Dalton Kincaid. Now, some of you, I understand, don't frequently watch Utah football. Last time they played this game, a guy by the name of Dalton Kincaid, their tight end, went for like road to glory kind of numbers against them, quite frankly. 
had 16 catches. That is not a typo. 16 catches, 234 yards, and a touchdown. Folks, Utah only had 560 yards on the day. I say only in the sense of like, that's a pretty solid percentage. Darn near half of what Utah did offensively was through Dalton Kincaid. So on paper, you're saying, okay, if we're USC, if you take away Dalton Kincaid, that means Utah has to figure out some other plan of attack offensively. And Dalton Kincaid is really what hurts you. So if you can take him away, you probably can force Utah to have to score points the slow way. Meaning if they do score, maybe it's running the football. Maybe it's a little more of the intermediate game. It's not so much, okay, we're throwing it to our guy and he's getting whatever he wants. Like I said, 16 catches. If you can minimize that, I think the pace that Utah can play at gets slowed down significantly. Now, if you can't take him away, the whole conversation around the boxing match versus the wrestling match, like I don't know if that matters quite as much. Because if that's the case, Dalton Kincaid's getting his. Utah's probably scoring right with you, and your edge that you had offensively gets minimized a little bit. Okay, because like I said, they scored, I think it was 43 last time to win the thing. So you got to take away Dalton Kincaid. Like, that's kind of the way this thing is going to work. If I'm USC, they played a lot of man. They played a lot of zone. I would bracket Dalton Kincaid, meaning you have one guy over the top. You have one guy underneath. The zone coverage didn't work last time because he would just kind of sit and find the soft spot, turn around, after he caught it, get three, four yards. The big dude got to tackle him. The man coverage didn't work because he's just a matchup problem. He's too fast for linebackers. He's too big for DBs. It's just not a good way to live if you're the defense. So have one guy over the top, one guy underneath. That would be my hope for the USC defense if I'm trying to slow him down. So here's my final hinge point. And we alluded to it a little bit at the beginning of this segment. But Caleb Williams needs to be the difference for USC. He played great last time against Utah. We need more this game. And he's steadily trended upwards in terms of his delivery for USC he's always been the best player on the field for them but I think the way he has propelled them in these last couple of games especially against UCLA they don't beat UCLA without the kind of effort Caleb Williams gave them I think it's going to take something in that same vein to win this game because for Caleb Williams this is the kind of game you came to USC for brother you came to play for a Pac-12 title and to have a chance to go Make the college football playoff. Like, this is that kind of stage for him. This is that kind of moment. And so, for 13, I'd love to see him take advantage of that. I'd love to see him play to his fullest potential. I think this is a potential Heisman moment for him. And think about the kind of style of play that Caleb Williams plays with. Dual threat, really special in space, hard to bring down, scrambles around like Johnny Menzel, has the arm angle thing that Patrick Mahomes has going. Like, that's kind of his freestyle out in the open kind of game that he plays. DTR is a similar version to that in terms of being a dual threat and scrambling, extending plays. Utah really struggled with DTR. I mean, UCLA went up and down the field on Utah because of that kind of style that Dorian Thompson Robinson was playing with for UCLA. So all that's to say, it is all teed up. The table is set for Caleb Williams to take advantage. Now you got to cash in. Now you got to be who everybody expects you to be, who you expect yourself to be. Win this game. Win the Pac-12 title, college football playoff berth, the Heisman Trophy is likely in your living room in a few short weeks. So that's what's at stake. So here's our prediction. I think this one is back and forth. 
I really do. I think Utah is such an experienced team. They know who they are. In terms of an identity, like Utah has no second guessing about what they can do both offensively and defensively. Kyle Whittingham has built a program. Not a program, not a good team. He's built a program over there in Salt Lake. Now, with that being said, Alex Grinch has taken a lot of flack for his defense. But they're opportunistic, if nothing else. In the last couple of weeks, especially last week really against Notre Dame, they answered the call to action. Like I said, played really well in the trenches, held them to 90 yards rushing against Notre Dame. Like That's the kind of response that you need from USC in this game. So I think they end up getting that from the defense. I think Caleb Williams has that Heisman kind of game. And I think USC doesn't lose a shootout a second time. For Utah, it's hard to beat anybody twice, much less this talented, potent USC offense. USC actually was just about to put Utah away, but I think they end up finishing the deal. Now, I do think it is high scoring. I think it is a bit of a track meet, but I think USC ultimately makes enough plays defensively in terms of getting turnovers, and I think Caleb Williams has... Like I said, a Heisman kind of game. USC wins this one 45-42 in Vegas. USC is your Pac-12 champions. And that's year one for Lincoln Riley, folks. In year one, Lincoln Riley gets a ton of talent out of the portal and then takes that talent, meshes it together, which is a lot easier said than done, has a strong culture, builds a strong culture, and they're able to get to the college football playoff in his first year. Now, he's been in the college football playoff before. Can he win a game there? That's what everyone's going to say if they get there. That's great. The Lincoln Rally got to the college football playoff. Got 70-piece last time against LSU, I believe. So that will set the table very much so for what to expect from Lincoln Riley. But that's going to be a phenomenal game. I'm very excited. Another coach with something to prove. How about Dabo Sweeney? Because... Last year, didn't win the ACC. And then just a few short weeks ago, we're saying, okay, well, Clemson's back, right? Clemson, not that they ever really left, but Clemson's sort of back to their old ways, up to their old tricks. They're going to make the college football playoff this year. They're going to win the ACC. Well, South Carolina had other plans in mind. Spencer Rattler, Juice Wells, just played backyard football, had an absolute day. Defense played well for Clemson, but... They weren't able to cash in enough offensively. So even with that being said, no college football playoff for Clemson. But guess what? They got another Carolina team waiting for them in the ACC title game. North Carolina, a chance to salvage, I think, a little bit of, I don't know if dignity is the right word. But for Clemson, this would be a very big, very big deal to win this game. Okay, to be able to get back to winning the ACC, like that's crucial. So let's get into it. Clemson. It's got North Carolina in the ACC title game. They are seven and a half point favorites are the Tigers. Now, Clemson, like I already said, hurting. Hurting a little bit from that, from that South Carolina loss. Lost the, the Palmetto Bowl. Uh, never good to lose to your rival. And Clemson hadn't done that in seven tries. They were going for an eight, Pete. Didn't get it done. Shane Beamer and company had other plans. This is a chance for them to take back the ACC. Because Clemson, we kind of think about them as being that top dog. Well, they didn't win the ACC last year, actually. That was Pitt. So Clemson's trying to get back that belt. I promise they'll be locked in. They're going to bounce back emotionally. They'll have the good psyche about themselves. They're going to be ready for this game. And that's important because guess who they got rolling into town? The boy wonder, Drizzy Drake May, return of the Mac, Mac Brown. I mean, they are able to do a lot of good things offensively. 
And the matchups in this game are very interesting to break down. But I promise you, for, for North Carolina, what an opportunity for their program. I mean, what an opportunity. This is their chance to prove they have arrived. To slay the dragon, take down the big dog, more or less, in the ACC over the last few years. This would be a program-defining win to this point for the North Carolina Tar Heels. Be a whole lot of fun to break down. If you have not yet subscribed to this channel, we'd love to have you at the party. We do content every single day. We go live on Tuesday. We go live on Thursday, giving you predictions, giving you analysis, like everything college football happens here on a daily basis. So we'd love to have you, all right? Make sure you also follow me on the social channels, at Jody Paquel on Twitter and on Instagram. The hinge points for this one. Can DJ Uwe Unglele cash in? A lot of times we talk about Clemson. Can they do enough around DJ to be successful? Can they give him enough help? Well, last week, they gave him a lot of help. I mean, the defense, did they play their best game? No, they kind of got taken advantage of in the secondary. We'll talk about that. Only allowed 54 yards rushing. The defense really held their water as long as they could. When you say offensively, okay, well, what'd they do offensively? Well, they ran the ball for over 200 yards. Will Shipley is a monster. Phil Moffa is an absolute dog off the leash. Like, they got some guys on that offense. But DJ Uyunglele threw for 99 yards. You can run for a lot of yards. That's great. When you don't have something to counter with, when you're not able to take advantage of those safeties creeping up and those linebackers getting nosy and trying to support the run, like if you can't make them pay on the back end for that, you got problems. And that was exactly what happened last week for Clemson. Ran for 237 yards. Now, North Carolina, we're not very good against the run. Allowing 180 yards a game on the ground, 4.6 yards per carry. I don't need to elaborate too much on that. That's bad. And so Clemson, they're going to be able to take advantage of that. They're going to be able to run the football. I think it's going to be a very similar number. I would imagine they're somewhere in the range of 200 yards. Can you capitalize? Can you throw the haymaker when you got those safeties creeped up? That is going to be crucial. Because if they can't, you allow North Carolina to kind of hang in the game. Even more importantly, with those safeties creeping up, they can creep up because it doesn't matter. You're not going to be able to connect behind us, brother. That's kind of the game we're playing here. We can commit more resources to the run game because you can't make us pay in the pass game. Now, if they can, that would be huge for Clemson and could break this game wide open. Here's the matchup I'm watching, though. The Clemson secondary against, like I said, boy wonder, Drake May, and his go-to wide receiver, Josh Downs. Josh Downs, a special player. Going to make a whole lot of money in the NFL very, very shortly. Drake May, give him another year or two. He'll be doing the same. South Carolina beat Clemson through the air. I mean, Juice Wells had well over 100 yards. They just fed him like the Gerber baby. Spencer Rattler has had a ton of criticism around him. He balled out too. Threw two picks, but still did a great job commanding the offense and making plays downfield, feeding his playmakers. We say it a lot in upset kind of games. This wouldn't be an upset, I guess, because it's only a seven and a half point favorite. But it's not about having all the matchups. It's about having one and just absolutely making the opposition pay. That's what South Carolina did last week with Juice Wells and Spencer Rattler. Is that the same song second verse for North Carolina? Because the table set, I, I would argue Josh Downs is a, is a potentially more dangerous receiver than Juice Wells. Not to knock Juice Wells, but Josh Downs has been doing his thing here for a minute at the FBS level. Juice Wells just transferred from James Madison. All right? So I'm just saying, if you thought Juice Wells could hurt you, you better watch the tape. You better get right quick, fast, in a hurry, because Josh Downs will make you pay. Can North Carolina do that same kind of thing? 
Can North Carolina follow the blueprint that South Carolina set for them? If they can, this game is going to get interesting. Now, if they can't, if that's not the kind of game that North Carolina is able to play, well, then guess what? The Clemson front seven, they get to control the game. They get to dictate how this whole thing is going to go. Because North Carolina, as good as they are throwing the football, they're not great rushing. I mean, they're not, not phenomenal. I mean, the, the Clemson front seven, even more so, is one of the best teams in the country in terms of stopping the run. Have a whole lot of guys that will play on Sundays. So if they're able to impact the game, North Carolina's going to be hurting a little bit. Here's the difference maker for me. Third down. I don't know if you want to call this a backbreaker, but I think it's one of the most important stats we're going to talk about. Clemson is 48% offensively on third down. That's really good. Now, the North Carolina defense, they're not very good. 85th in the country, allowing 41% conversion rate on third down. So here's why that's interesting to me. For all the things that we've said about DJ Uwe Unglele and all the criticism that he's gotten that, quite honestly, is warranted, I think in this kind of game, with that third down number, you would be able to, one, set up favorable third downs so you can run the football and give them a third and two, give them a third and three. I think it also gives this Clemson offense a little bit more of a approach they can take to where DJ doesn't have to throw for 300 yards. He might be able to go for 150, as long as it's the right kind of 150. 150, two touchdowns, no picks. That's the kind of game that I think DJ Uyungle can play, and Clemson could eventually win. Because if you're converting on third down at that kind of a clip, you don't need elite DJ. You just need to be able to run the football and hit play action. Now, he still has to do his job in hitting on play action, but I think with how bad North Carolina is on third down, it could kind of be the Achilles heel for them. No pun intended. So here's the prediction for this game. I think Clemson's going to learn from what they did last week. We've seen them be able to bounce back, I feel like, relatively quickly. We've, we've seen them have bad games against Wake Forest. They come back, and their secondary looks great. I mean, the secondary, I feel like, will be able to get their footing and look a lot better than they did against South Carolina. I do think Dabo Sweeney's one of the best coaches in the country still. He's going to have this team motivated. I think DJ's not going to lose his confidence. I think he plays well enough in the run game. Yet again, has a phenomenal day for Clemson. And I think the ground control allows Clemson to win the time of possession and keep Drake May watching a lot of this game on the sideline. So at the end of the day, I got Clemson winning this game 38-24. to 24. So we're taking Clemson to bounce back, win, and we're taking Clemson to cover that as Clemson is once again atop the ACC. They are your conference champions. And that would be big for morale for Clemson. Because think about this. If they don't win that game, I think it would be a very similar tone around that fan base as Ohio State has right now towards Ryan Day. The expectation now that Dabo has created at Clemson, which is kind of, you know, he's, he's sort of having to bear the consequences of the own expectations that he's created at Clemson, which, hey, we win the ACC just about every year. If they don't win it for the second year in a row and they're still not taking transfers, that might cause some issues. I like to compare Clemson to Chick-fil-A. They don't really do the whole visit thing that everybody else does in terms of the schedule. They don't take transfers. They promote it internally with both coordinators. They're different. They operate a different way. Same thing as Chick-fil-A. Closed on Sundays. 
They operate their fast food service. The expectation for their service is different. The my pleasure, the extra happy workers, like that's kind of a different tone they set. But you're okay with them being closed on Sunday because they give you the absolute best product. Same with Clemson. You're okay with them not taking transfers. You're okay with them promoting internally, doing things differently because they play some of the best brand of football in the country. Well, what happens if Chick-fil-A starts giving you a subpar product? You're probably not going to go Chick-fil-A anymore. You're probably going to have some people upset with that whole company. Same thing with Clemson. If for the second year in a row, they're not winning the ACC, there's going to be some people upset with Dabo and upset with the way that he does things. All right? It goes from being kind of quirky, specific to who he is and to how Clemson is to, okay, hey, let's, let's get on board here with Transfer Portal. Let's go get us some dogs. So we'll see what happens in that game. But again, I think Clemson wins that game. So that should be a whole lot of fun. Really quickly, if you have not yet jumped in the live chat, we would love to have you. We are going to get to the party section here in just a little minute and uh, get to your questions. So if you haven't yet submitted those, Jack Terry's on the ones and twos today. He's going to be getting to those and getting those answered here after one more breakdown. Should be a whole lot of fun. As the old saying goes, Ain't no party like a hard count party. It's a hard count party. Don't stop. All right. TCU and Kansas State set for a rematch in the Big 12 championship. TCU just continues to cruise along. They're undefeated. Two and a half point favorite in this one. This is a really cool conference championship setup. Have been to this game twice, but Jerry World is just such a cool venue. And typically it's, you know, reserved for the NFL game, but to have it packed with college fans it's special it's a really cool atmosphere noon eastern kick i believe college game day is actually going to be there you got kirk herfried on the call got chris fowler on the call holly Rowe on the sidelines like it is all teed up to be a really special kind of atmosphere in jerry world tcu they may even be in the college football playoff with one loss now if they lose that game maybe things become a little bit more dicey similar to what we said about michigan but I think, obviously, for Sonny Dykes and company, they would like to win this game. They would like to get some Big 12 jewelry, put the ring on the finger. And in their first year, to think about where they were when Sonny Dykes got there and to where they could be in winning this game, that would be huge. Now, TCU needed a comeback effort to beat Kansas State the last time they played. Ended up winning that one 38-28. Kansas State, they feel like they should have won that game. They felt like they had TCU on the ropes and let them get away. So Kansas State is very excited to to see TCU standing right there in their way for the Big 12 title. Now, the the quarterback situation is a little bit interesting for for Kansas State. Got Will Howard, who I believe is going to be starting in this game. But Adrian Martinez, the Nebraska transfer, has been lightning for them all year. His status is in question. So if he can go, expect him to obviously contribute to some level. But I'm going to go ahead and predict this game as though Will Howard is going to be the starter. So we'll see what happens there. But regardless of the quarterbacks, here's my first hinge point. Who wins bully ball? Because that's plan A for both teams. Kansas State running the ball 58% of the time. Deuce Vaughn, the last time they played, seven yards per a carry. That is ridiculous. For TCU, they're running the ball 54% of the time. And Kendra Miller was the player of the game last time. I mean, 29 carries, 153 yards. He just pounded the rock to no end. Now, I think this is extra crucial for Kansas State because for TCU, they have Quinton Johnston on the outside, who is just a freak show. 
Like, I don't believe you can leave him one-on-one. He's Megatron-esque, which is maybe a little bit hyperbole, but it's true with his mix of size and speed and how he moves in and out of breaks. Like, he is special. We'll be making millions of dollars here very soon. And Max Duggan's been playing really well. Max Duggan just continuing to move the train down the tracks for TCU. He's a very capable passer. And so if they don't have the run game, which, again, they want to, they would love to run for 153 yards. Again, if they don't have that, though, they still have that counterpunch of being able to put the ball in the air and let their guys go work. Now, it becomes a lot easier when you can run the football, but they still have that in the back pocket with Quentin Johnston and company. For Kansas State, I say it's extra crucial because obviously a higher percentage. But with Will Howard, I mean, he's a youngster. Let's just call a spade a spade. There it is for those of you trying to keep track of when that reference was coming, a spade a spade. Let's just call a spade a spade. Will Howard, this is a big spot for him. And so to be able to turn around and hand the ball off to Deuce Vaughn and be able to move the chains that way, that would be a lot less on his plate. Because if you say, Will Howard, they're stopping the run, brother, we got to throw the ball to win the football game. He's done that before. Just ask Oklahoma State. He's capable of throwing the football, but I just think with how big a stage this is, you would like to make his day as easy as possible. So, something to keep an eye on, but whoever can win bully ball, whoever gets to play their style of game, that's going to be who this game favors. Does TCU start fast? Five second half comebacks this year. It's just kind of been a part of their game. But think about this for a second. What if TCU gets out to a 14-point lead? What if TCU doesn't need to have their sixth second half comeback in this kind of game? What if they just pull away? They have the offense to do it because they score 39 points a game. That's some of the best in the country. And if they're able to get out to a quick start, like we already said, whether it's Will Howard, whether it's Adrian Martinez, the Kansas State offense, they score upwards of 30 a game too, but they score it in a different way. They want to run the football. They want to wear you down. They want to pound the rock. Well, when you're down 14-0, when you're down 21-0 even, it becomes a lot more difficult to do because the clock keeps running and you're taking six yards, you're taking five yards, and that's fine, but the clock keeps ticking and the game becomes shorter and it's harder to get that many drives in when that's the kind of style you play. Now, I will say this, though. If they don't start fast, if it does become a matter of, okay, Need that horned frog magic here, baby. Need a little bit of that second half comeback. Let's do it. It's hard to do that on the same team twice. I'm not saying it can't be done, but I promise you, if they go into that locker room, does Kansas State up at half, you know what they're going to be saying? Hey, not like last time. Remember last time, we're not doing that. There will be an extra emphasis to keep the pedal to the metal. So it could happen But needless to say, it's not the way that you want to play if you're TCU because Kansas State's not going to let you do that twice. That's that's how I feel, at least. So a fast start for TCU is extremely crucial. How about the explosive plays? When you think about Kansas State, you don't really think of the the home run all the time, but they got a guy, Malik Knowles, 15 yards per reception. That's a stick of dynamite. Essentially, what happens is they commit to the run game, lull you to sleep, and then eventually, before you know it, number four is behind your defense and he's in the end zone. It's a good time for Kansas State. Strike up the band. That's going to be really important because if they can hit a couple of those, even just one of those, to get this whole thing started off in the first half, if Kansas State can play with the lead, then they're able to dictate the game on their terms. Then they're able to just hand the ball to Deuce Vaughn. Then they're able to run quarterback design run with Will Howard or with Adrian Martinez, whoever it is. Then they feel a lot more comfortable in terms of the game flow. 
And that would be 1,000% a favor to Kansas State. So for TCU, minimizing explosive plays early would allow you to then kind of get into your rhythm and answer scores and play kind of that back-and-forth game that you would want to play because they have a ton of offensive talent, a ton of guys that need to impact the game for TCU. But minimizing explosive plays is going to keep less pressure on your offense to have to have that second-half surge. Again, they can do it, but a lot of what Kansas State would like to live in, they can mellow out that defense, hit a couple explosive plays early, Malik Knowles, that would be the kind of game they would like to play. Okay, so our prediction. We've played against TCU all year long. And guess what? Every single Sunday, I have sat in this chair and just thought to myself, we, we played against TCU again and we're wrong again. If you can't beat them, join them, is how I'm just going to say this. Kendra Miller had a big day last time they played. I think he has a big day again. I think this TCU team is just sniffing the finish line right now they know how much is at stake they want that big 12 title they know the college football playoff is waiting for them they're hearing all the doubt i mean they're undefeated they beat this team by 10 last time and they're only two and a half point favorites i think this tcu team has an edge and i think they're ultimately too much firepower offensively for kansas state it's hard to be anybody twice but i think tcu does it so I'm going to go against my, my better judgment, go against my logic, and say that TCU wins this game. They finish strong, run through the tape, make the college football playoff by going undefeated this season, winning the Big 12 title. I think they win this game. And I'm going to say they win it 41-31. to So a 10-point win for TCU there. Another 10-point win after they won the last one, 38-28. But the Frogs, in year one under Sonny Dykes, are your big 12 champions. And how about that? If you're keeping track at home, that's USC and Lincoln Riley in their first year winning the Pac-12 title and Sonny Dykes and TCU winning the big 12 title in their first year. So two first-year head coaches winning big 12 titles. Now imagine this. We're not predicting this. What if LSU wins the SEC? Three first-year head coaches all capturing conference championships. I'm just saying, that would put a whole lot of pressure on this new cycle of coaches that just got hired. Luke Fickle, Matt Rule, Hugh Freeze, everyone's saying, okay, they did it in their first year. What you got? It's a whole lot of pressure to have on a first-year head coach, but they're just continuing to up, 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 up goes the bar for first-year head coaches, but should be a whole lot of fun. Regardless, championship Saturday, about to get on and pop and should be a whole lot of fun. All right, the best thing we do on this entire program, welcoming in the voice right now behind the production of The Hard Count Today, the man, the myth, the legend, Jack Terry. Jack, how we doing, brother? Glad to have your voice on the show. Doing good. Are you ready to get into it? Ready to get into it, man. What's, what's the live chat saying? All right, the first question uh, 10 minutes ago came from HHL316Delta, and he asked, do you think Michigan could handle explosive offenses like TCU or USC? a great question so what i would say to that is ohio state was the second scoring offense in the country maybe first scoring like right around 49 points a game they handled them held them to 23 points so to answer that question more directly uh yes i do believe now caleb williams and max duggan would present a different element to michigan that could be interesting and that is a mobile quarterback both very 
elite runners, especially Caleb Williams, I would be fascinated to see that kind of matchup. And if chalk holds, you would have Michigan likely in that two spot, TCU in that three spot, and we would see a Max Duggan versus the Michigan defense in that first round of the playoffs. So to answer your question, I do believe they would be able to hang with them, but I'd be very fascinated to see how they address that kind of dual threat quarterback. So it should be a whole lot of fun. I hope we get that matchup, but to answer your question, yes, I think they could be able to handle that kind of uh, kind of offensive attack. Love it. Great question, though, from a little, uh, like, a, like a Star Wars droid, like C-3PO, HHL Delta. Appreciate you joining the program. 316 Delta. Love it, baby. All right, the uh, next question comes from Tennessee faithful Nathan Crane. He wants to know, is Tennessee the real deal next year, even without Hendon Hooker? Ooh, that's a really good question. So I have two thoughts here. One, the Tennessee program is just that. They're a program. Like, Hendon Hooker was so special this year, is very rightly so credited with a lot of their success. But I would also say this. What the Tennessee offense requires at quarterback is very similar to what we talk about with the Michigan offense. Hit the open shot. Like they they put you in a bind structurally on the defense. They put your linebackers out over receivers and make your safety have to roll down to help the run. They put those receivers in position to just run by people. And more often than not, they do. Jalen Hyatt should be considered for the Blitnikoff Award this year. Brew McCoy, I believe, is coming back. Like they're going to have those same weapons. And so for that reason, I think they will be able to still be really successful next year. Now, will they recreate the kind of magic they had this year? I don't know. But it's going to be year three under Josh Heupel. So I think a positive trend will will kind of be the case for Tennessee. I don't know if they'll have a 10-win season like this year. But I still think Tennessee has a really good year. So are they for real? Yes. Will it be the same kind of year next year as it was this year? remains to be seen. Hennon Hooker is a really special player, but Joe Milton, a lot of ability. We're going to withhold judgment on exactly what he's going to do next year. So we'll see, but I'm going to go ahead and say Tennessee's for real. Let's, uh, let's pause on the whole 10 win talk for next year until we uh, get a little more information. Portal two will be crucial. I like it, Jack. What else we got big dog? All right. Jamie Chadwick uh, wants to know, assuming uh, Michigan, not Michigan, USC and Georgia hold up, and they play each other in the first round. Uh, who do you like in that game? Can Michigan or can USC? Sorry, I keep getting them mixed up. Can they compete Ooh. with? If we get USC Georgia. and Georgia, is the question? Yeah, USC and Georgia. USC and Georgia. I'll tell you what, we'll break it all down here. So, if you want to know what our pick is for that, subscribe to the channel right now. Oh gosh, it's so interesting because Caleb Williams is kind of that ace in the hole, right? Like we talked about it the very first week with Utah and Florida. And just basically said, like, here, here's the deal. Utah's probably the better team, and I still feel that way today. I still feel like Utah is the better team. But Anthony Richardson, on that Saturday night, turned in just a special performance. Like, he just kind of took over the ball game. And so I think it would require that kind of performance from Caleb Williams because Georgia's the better team in every single facet. Georgia will have just about every matchup. But if Caleb Williams has that kind of special night and just takes over, that's the one variability that I think could make that game a little bit interesting and potentially allow USC to win that game. So we're going to pick it when it gets here, if it gets here. But that's the early feel I have on it is Caleb Williams kind of holds that game in the palm of his hand. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun. But I would love that. SEC versus the Pac-12. Listen, I lived in Southern California for a really long time. The Pac-12, everybody on the West Coast, 
they have a certain feeling towards the SEC, and they would love to draw Georgia and uh, have a chance to prove themselves right. I'll leave it at that. But that's a great question, Jack. I love it. Chat's popping off today, man. How about it? How about it? All right, two two more questions. Uh, one from the chat and then one from me because I think it would be Let's interesting. Go. But here is the last question from the chat. Um, do you predict any upsets within the championship games? Ooh. That is from Hayden Bergmuser. That's a very good question. Do we predict any upsets? I'm going to say this. I don't predict any upsets, but if there's one to keep an eye on, if you want to call it an upset, I'm watching that North Carolina-Clemson game really closely. Like I said, I think Clemson can kind of play keep away enough with Drake May and Josh Downs to be able to kind of hold the ball and minimize their impact. But what if they can't? Like, what if Clemson has a, a day from DJ Wee where he throws two picks? Maybe they cough the football up on special teams again. Like, if Clemson has their sort of butterfingers for the second week in a row, like we've seen them have at different times throughout the year, that would be the game that I'm watching most closely saying, if I you know, didn't watch the game and wake up on Sunday morning and check the scores and you say North Carolina won that game by 10, I'd say, all right, well, how many turnovers does Clemson have? Like that would kind of be the one that could be really, really interesting. So outright, we're not calling any upsets, but if there is a one through 10 feel on these kind of upsets, I'm putting Clemson, North Carolina right around, let's say six and a half for North Carolina. But it's a great question. Jack, what's, uh, what's your question, man? All right. My question is, while we were going live 20 minutes ago, Hudson, um, Hudson Card announced he plans to enter the transfer portal. Hmm. And so I wanted to know off the top of your head, do you see anywhere he'd fit in? Ooh, that's a He's great question. Austin, okay. So, yeah. That's a great question. Okay, well, Jack, one, appreciate you bringing that to the, to the channel, to the show. That is big news. So my assumption would be Hudson Card as a grad transfer – is moving on, seeking greener pastures, going to go play somewhere. Got a nice certificate then from the Macomb School of Business. Phenomenal feather in your cap to have the rest of your days, whether you play anywhere in college football, whether you hang them up right now. Um, my first thought is, what about UCLA? I don't know if there's any ties there, but just in terms of style of play, DTR is going to move on to the pros. Hudson Carr could come right in and play in that RPO kind of offense. Maybe goes and reinvents himself a little bit on the West Coast. I love that fit a lot because of his style of play with the dual threat and being able to have been in that RPO offense or a version of it under Steve Sarkeesian. I think that would fit really, really well for him. So we'll see what happens, but how about it? Okay, Hudson Card jumping in the portal. It, it's portal season, Jack. Like It is 1,000% portal season. Follow Transfer Portal on three on Instagram. I don't know the exact handle for that. Am I, am I off base there, Jack? It's actually just at Transfer Portal. Boom. At Transfer Portal. Follow that on Instagram. All the breaking news that you're going to want to have, you find it there. Also, subscribe to the channel because of stuff like this. We're talking about Hudson Card in real time jumping into the portal. Again, my early thought, UCLA makes a lot of sense, okay? So how about that? Hudson Card, and I'm imagining it must be as a grad transfer because the portal doesn't officially open for other players until, I believe it's December 5th. So it must be, is, is it intention, Jack, or is it he has officially entered the portal? It's plans right okay. now, but I guess his name's probably about to pop up. Okay, cool. Good to know. How about it? Yeah, Hudson Card in the portal. Curious to see uh, who will be in the running for him. He's also from Austin. I guess other Texas schools could could be 
talked about. Maybe you know some of the group of five schools like Houston or UTSA would also make sense. But that's a big one. That's a big fish in the portal now. Him and Cade McNamara are looking for greener pastures. I love it. We got anything else, Big Jack? No, I think that's it. Beautiful. Sounds phenomenal. Well, folks, we do this program twice a week. Now, you got content every single day from shorter form videos, getting my thoughts on different things like Hudson Carr jumping in the portal. Yesterday, Cade McNamara jumps in the portal. We say, awesome, sit down, give you our thoughts as quickly as possible. The People Show, right? Everything that you know and that you love about college football, we do it every single day. It's more than just every single day. Like, it's probably like two or three times a day. And that's because we love the sport, you love the sport, and the people is what makes this whole thing go. The NBA is great. The NFL is great. But college football is its own thing, man. It's our sport. It really is the people sport. All right? So make sure you're locked in with us. Make sure you're subscribed. I'll I'll give you a little secret. Our Tuesday shows usually are our highest traffic shows of our, our whole live operation. Now, Thursdays, come back. That live chat isn't quite popping as much. I don't know if it's the predictions. I don't know if it's SEO. But here's my challenge to our audience. Let's have the Thursday show outperform today's. We're going to talk about Michigan. We're going to talk about Georgia. We're going to talk about Tennessee. We're going to talk about transfer portal needs going forward. So here's what I want you to do. Hit the bell. Hit subscribe. And when we go live again next Thursday, 1 Central, 2 Eastern, come back and join us. We'll talk it up. We'll have a good time. We'll hit the live chat hard. And the party's going to keep rolling. All right? Again, we're on podcast, Apple, and Spotify. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find the hard count there. Follow me on the socials, at Judy Paquel, on Twitter and on Instagram. Posting snippets and other ways to interact with the show. My DMs stay open like 7-Eleven. And we have a good time, so make sure you're following me there to keep up with every single thing that we're doing. Gosh dang it. This is awesome. I love y'all. We're going to keep the party rolling. And we will see y'all next time.